0: morning, everybody. Good to see you all today, especially if you're a visitor. Great to have you with us. Last year, Claire and I had the privilege of spending some time in Canada on holiday, and we we hooked up with a couple called Jurgen and Wendy, who were Canadian missionaries uh, down in Bolivia, and they were home on furlough, and they were staying for one night, at the same free accommodation, which is set up for Christian workers and missionaries and so on who were kind of passing through Vancouver, so we were staying there for two weeks, and this couple were just passing through for one night. So we spent the evening with them and got to know them, a fantastic couple. And they took us to a place called Lynn Canyon Park, which is famous for its suspension bridge. If you've ever been to Vancouver, there are two famous suspension bridges. This is the smaller of the two, and if you're a tourist, this one is free. That's why we went there. The other one you had to pay for. If you're a tourist, then the thing to do is to walk out into the middle on the suspension bridge and then get your photograph taken. Either get a selfie or get someone else who's mad enough to walk out there with you to go and take your picture. And this was something that Claire was really quite happy to do. She's not bothered by things like that. She's much braver than I am. But there was no way I was going out on that suspension bridge, no way whatsoever. And, and, and even watching Claire do it made me frightened. You can see Claire there. She was out there quite happy there was no way I was doing it. I did try and walk out onto it a little bit. I thought, you know, I know what I'm like, but now I'll give it one more go. A couple of steps, no, this is nuts. Not even doing this. I am terrified of heights. There was just no way I was going to walk out there. It's hundreds of feet down this big, real canyon. And although it looks totally safe, even though there were loads of people on it, Claire said to me, she said, don't you believe the bridge is safe? And I said, well, I did, I do, but the reality was my actions uh, spoke otherwise. My actions said otherwise. I, I said I had faith in the bridge, but my refusal to actually go and walk out on that bridge demonstrated that my faith wasn't genuine in that bridge. I didn't really believe in it, otherwise I would have gone out and walked on it. If I'd really believed that it was safe, I would have gone out there. The reality was my faith wasn't real. We, we talk a lot about having faith in certain things. And as Christians, we talk a lot about our faith in Jesus, our faith in God and, 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 and having a living faith. We sing lots of songs about faith. We've just sung a whole song, which is really Hebrews 11 all kind of wrapped up in one song. It's all about faith. And we sing about it. We talk about it. We talk about sharing our faith and so on. But what is faith? If somebody said to you, and please don't answer out loud, but if somebody said to you, what is faith? What would you say to that? How would you define that? What does the Bible mean when it talks about faith? What does it mean to have faith in God and to put our faith in Jesus? What does that really mean? What does it mean to live by faith every day? When we say, when we talk about living by faith, what does that really mean? We're working our way through the the book of Hebrews in the New Testament here at Regent on Sunday mornings. And today we've reached chapter 11, which is famously called or, or often known as the chapter of faith. That's often what it's called at and it's a, it's a list of great heroes of the old testament of the bible who are really famous and really well known who lived by faith and who did great things great deeds great actions by faith in god but we tend to or, or we often read hebrews 11 in isolation we read it and we read about all these great people in god great faith in god but we forget that it's kind of bookended by uh, some other stuff and we need to understand the context of why Hebrews 11 is where it is, and why it was written in the first place. Why did the writer feel the need to go on this kind of big, long list of heroes of the Old Testament to explain and and describe what faith looks like in action? Why did he do that? Well, last week we saw, uh, we looked at the end of chapter 10, and we saw how the author was encouraging his readers to stand firm in the face of persecution, and we looked, didn't we, at great detail about what the realities of being persecuted for our faith looks like. And he was encouraging his readers to stand firm. And we saw that those who had turned away from Jesus because of persecution revealed that in reality their faith wasn't genuine. When it came to it, they didn't really believe otherwise they would have carried on living for Jesus. They demonstrated their faith wasn't genuine. See, it's only those who keep going and persevere to the end that show that they have genuine faith in Jesus. And our faith needs to be genuine, it needs to be real, it needs to be authentic. Because as believers in Jesus, we will all face all kinds of opposition and problems and, and, and difficulties and trials in life. We might not face persecution, we might do, we might not face that, but we'll all face kind of stuff which will cause us to evaluate, do I really believe this stuff? Do I really believe in Jesus? Am I really prepared to do X, Y, and Z? Is this real? Because if we say we have faith then that faith must be seen in the way that we behave and we act. Faith without actions isn't faith at all. A whole lot of us were away at our men's night away on Friday night and Saturday night, and our whole teaching was around the book of James. Faith without works is dead. In other words, if we say we have faith but we don't back it up with our actions, then really you've got to ask, do we have any faith at all? Is it real? Faith without works is dead. Faith without actions isn't faith at all. So we're going to read the last two verses of chapter 10 to give us that context that we looked at last week, and then we're going to read chapter 11. We're not going to read all of it today. We're going to look at the rest of chapter 11 next Sunday, we're going to look at just the first few verses of chapter 11 this morning. So if you've got a Bible handy, you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to read the first few verses. We're going to start uh, at verse 38 in chapter 10. If you haven't got a Bible, that's fine. You can just listen as I read it to you. This is what he says, and he's quoting God. This is God speaking. My righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And we'll leave it there and we'll look at the rest of chapter 11 next, next Sunday. Having encouraged his readers to stand firm in the face of opposition and real dangerous persecution in their instances, and to show that their faith in Jesus was real, that it was genuine, the author says this, My righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are of those who believe and are saved. Those who've genuinely trusted in Jesus have been made righteous, and they will live by faith, and they'll keep going to the end, the writer says. But what does it actually mean to live by faith? What is faith? Well, we get a biblical definition in verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And the ancients he's talking about are these great characters, these famous people from the Old Testament that he's about to go on and and describe and, and discuss. So faith makes you sure that the future things that you hope for, and therefore by definition don't yet possess, are really yours, so that you learn to count on them as if you already had them. Let me repeat that. Faith makes sure that the future things that you hope for and therefore by definition that you don't yet possess are really actually yours so that you learn to count on them and live as if you already had them. Some things are invisible like God himself or, if they're, or, or, or they're hidden from us because they're still yet in the future. And yet in faith we base our choices and our decisions on them every day And we guide our lives by them. Even though we can't see God, we're living as if he's real right in front of us. We can't see things in the future, but we're making decisions based on those things as if we already had them. But it's not faith in something that we've made up. It's not something, you know, people say, well, if you you just believe hard enough, you can make it happen. That's not faith. We'll talk a little bit more about that kind of faith next week. But faith isn't believing something that we've made up or we just, if you kind of wish it into existence, Our faith, biblical faith, is a response to what God has revealed to us primarily in the Bible. Faith is our response to what God has primarily revealed to us in the Bible. Romans 10, 17 says this, faith comes from hearing the message. Faith comes from hearing the message. In other words, we read the words of the Bible or we hear somebody else share them with us or perhaps a Bible teacher or whatever, and as we hear God's message to us, bringing to us bringing alive to us the words of the Bible, we respond in faith, which gives us the conviction that as we've read and as we've listened, that what we've heard, what we've read is real. And so we count on that as absolute certainties. We've heard something, we've read it, and so we believe it, and we believe it as being an absolute certainty. For instance, we read in the Bible that Jesus came to this earth, he died on the cross for our sins, and we can pretty much prove that Jesus existed, we can pretty much prove historically that he was that he was crucified on the cross. We know that. That's historical fact. But we can't prove that he died on the cross to deal with our sins. We can't prove that he, he was a substitute sacrifice for us. No, he died, but we can't prove what he was actually doing there on the cross. That is a belief in something that we have by faith. And yet, as believers in Jesus, we build our whole lives on that belief because the Bible teaches it, because we've heard it or we've read it and the message has come to us, and it's brought faith in our hearts. We read in the Bible that Jesus is going to come again, but we can't prove it. It's a belief in something that's in the future, but we count on it, and we live on it as if it had already happened. That's biblical faith. We believe Jesus is in heaven because the Bible says so, but we've never seen him there. We've never even seen Jesus, have we? And yet when we pray to to God, and when we come to God in faith, we believe He's real. We believe He exists, but we can't categorically prove it. To the non-believer, to lots of atheists and perhaps skeptics and so on, you know, faith in God or us praying to God and talking to Him must seem like we're kind of mad and we're just talking to our imaginary made-up friend. But in faith, we believe that God is real, and we believe that because God has revealed Himself to us through the, His Word, the Bible. We've heard that message. And so we pray to him because faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. The Apostle Peter says this though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Faith in God is difficult to describe to somebody who doesn't have that faith. It's a difficult thing to try and convey the reality of what we just know is true. It's something we can't describe, but we just know it in our hearts. We have this, inexpress- this inexpressible and glorious joy. Even in the difficulties of life, and life can be really difficult, there's something intangible within us. It's this inexpressible, glorious joy that we have through faith, knowing that Jesus is real. And, and having believed these things, we found that they're real and that they stand the test of experience. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's that rock-solid conviction about things that we can't see. And it's such a powerful force that, as we saw last week, despite never having seen him, people are prepared to be arrested, tortured, and even lose their lives because of their faith in Jesus. And faith is essential to us if we're going to please God. God, in his wisdom, has chosen to set things up in the universe that he's created so that we need to exercise faith. Not blind faith, much of what we believe in the Bible, much of what our Christian beliefs are about, uh, has strong historical, archaeological, scientific, and, and logical backing. But ultimately, there's much about our beliefs that we can't prove. And we have to exercise faith. But when we take God at his word, we believe what he said, that pleases him. That's the way in his wisdom that he set things up. Verse 6 says, and without faith it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God is described in the Bible as being the invisible God. So we can't see him and we can't categorically prove his existence or his love for us. There's lots of uh, indicators and proofs that gives a strong argument for it, but we can't categorically prove it. And God has deliberately set things up like this so that we have to exercise faith in him in order to please him and to be rewarded by him. And God's reward, as we sang earlier, is himself. The reward that we we receive is God himself. It's being with him. It's enjoying him. It's being with him forever. Our reward is to have a, a real living relationship with God right now by faith. And one day, faith will give way to sight as we see Jesus face to face, and then we'll be with him forever. The author of Hebrews was writing primarily to Jews who'd become Christians and so he he as he writes chapter 11 he works his way kind of chronologically through the Old Testament of the Bible. And he looks at some of the famous characters from the history of Israel people that his readers would have been really familiar with. They'd have just grown up knowing these people. These are famous names to them. And his purpose is to teach us to teach them what faith means, what does it look like in action, what are the practical implications for us by learning from the people from the past, our fathers who roamed the earth as we sang. And he starts by detailing the four key doctrines of biblical faith, key teachings and beliefs that we have to believe and put our faith in so that we can please God and receive his reward. And the first is the doctrine of creation. Verse 3 says this, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. In other words, God made everything out of nothing. We are standing on something that before it was created, this universe, this earth, and all the stuff in this earth, we're standing on something that before it was created couldn't be seen, couldn't be touched, couldn't be tasted, couldn't be smelt, couldn't be heard, so the whole universe, if you like, is a gigantic object lesson for us of faith. If we had been there just before God spoke the world into existence and created everything, we would have needed tremendous faith to believe that anything can happen at all because there was nothing there. It was just God. And he spoke and it all came from nothing because God is the creator. And that would have taken great faith. If God had said, I'm about to create this vast universe, we would have struggled, I think, to have believed that. Because there's nothing there. That would have taken great faith. There was nothing. And then God spoke, and suddenly the whole universe was created. And he continued to speak over six days to bring the world that we now know into being. The whole universe is an object lesson in faith. Now, scientists disagree as to how the universe was created, and they have no answer as to why or what the purpose of human life is. As scientists, they're ultimately purposeless and without hope. But as Christian believers, we know the answer to this fundamental and all-important question, and we know that by faith. Hebrews chapter 1, going right back to the beginning of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, says this, In the past, God spoke, and we receive that faith by the message, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. So the Creator has spoken through the prophets and finally through his Son, the Lord Jesus. We believe him, we've heard that message, we believe him, we've put our faith in him as our Creator, as the Creator. And so we have purpose and meaning, don't we? We're not the product of millions of years of random mutations from slime to humans. God made our ancestors, Adam and Eve, in his image on the sixth day of creation. And God creating the universe is Christian belief 101. And if we're genuine believers, then we need to defend this teaching with all our strength because everything else of the Christian faith rests on this primary doctrine. If we don't believe this, if we don't take this literally, the whole of the rest of the gospel just comes crashing down. If you don't have a literal Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, then the whole Christian faith comes crashing down. Biblical faith begins with the belief that there is a God who created the universe and who created each one of us in his image and that he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to have a relationship with him. And the reason, one of the reasons the world is in such a mess is because we've removed the creator. And when you remove the creator, everything else goes wrong. And the reason so many churches are in a mess is because they've moved the creator. They don't really believe in the creator. They don't really believe he created the world. And so when all thoughts of things might be happening around us in our life, in faith we believe that our Creator is in control, that He has an eternal purpose behind whatever is happening. We believe there's more than what we're just seeing. There is a Creator. The second key doctrine of biblical faith is the belief that Jesus' atoning sacrifice gives us access to God. Verse 4 says this, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man, but when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, he still speaks, even though he's dead. He's speaking to us this morning by his actions. Now, Abel wasn't accepted because he did righteous works. He was accepted because by faith, he offered God a better sacrifice. To do something by faith, according to the definition we've already read in Romans, you must do it in response to and according to some information or a message from God. We've already seen that faith comes from hearing the message. And what Abel is said to have done by faith was to offer his sacrifice. He brought his sacrifice by faith because he brought it in response to a message from God. It was either in response to what God had previously told his parents to do when they were told by God to take animals and sacrifice them and clothe their nakedness with, with the animal skins, or possibly in response to some other direct communication from God, which Genesis doesn't record. But however it happened, Abel had heard from God. And by faith, he responded to the message he received. He understood that his sins needed to be dealt with by a substitute sacrifice. And in response to that information, he offered a sacrifice, believing that God would deal with his sin through that sacrifice. He was putting his faith in that sacrifice, but he was putting his faith in something bigger. He was putting his faith in what that sacrifice was a picture of. And that sacrifice was a picture of what Jesus would eventually come and do on the cross as the greatest sacrifice of all, as we've thought this morning, with bread and wine. As Jesus took our place, took your place, took Abel's place, and took the punishment for Abel's sin and my sin and your sin there on the cross. He believed God had spoken, and he responded in faith by bringing a sacrifice. He perhaps didn't know it all, he didn't understand it all, had perhaps not the comprehension that we've got this morning, but by faith, looking forwards, he offered a sacrifice. Abel was also commended as a righteous man. In other words, his faith in God caused him to turn away from sin and live a life that was pleasing to God. Cain, on the other hand, his brother, was the complete opposite. He was just going through the motions. He also brought a sacrifice, but God wasn't pleased with it. Why? Well, he didn't really have genuine faith in God. It wasn't that the sacrifice was the issue, it was his heart. Because if he'd had faith in God, then he would have done his best to turn away from sin. If he'd had faith in God, he would have been pleasing to God, but he wasn't. He thought that as long as he was bringing an offering to God and just kind of went through the motions and ticked the box that he could then just live as he wanted and carry on sinning and carry on living his own life. And so he did just that. He carried on living a sinful life. He went through the motions, brought his sacrifice, ticked the box. It was meaningless. He wasn't putting his faith in God to deal with his sin. He wasn't even really acknowledging that he had a problem of sin in the first place. And so God rejected Cain's offering because it was a sham. It, It was false. The Apostle John helps us with this. He says, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. And the point for us today is this. If we are genuine believers, then we will firstly show that and and live that out by trusting only in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But as the means by which we can have a relationship with God and the means by which we can approach God. And then secondly, by making sure that we're not being like Cain, thinking that you know, we can, on the one hand, profess faith in Jesus, we can turn up at church, we can take communion, and then at the same time, we can spend the rest of our lives just sinning as we wish. That's what Cain did. Cain went through the motions, he turned up at church, effectively ticked the box, look at me, I'm, 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 all, I'm all good. But his life was a complete sham, because behind the scenes, he was an, an evil man, according to the Bible. And the challenge for us is to make sure that we're not living like that. Living by faith means that we're living by faith in the sacrifice of Jesus. Biblical faith in God means that in response to what Jesus did on the cross, we then choose to turn away from sin on a daily basis. If we're not choosing to turn away from sin on a daily basis, we have to ask the question at the very least, have I really trusted in Jesus? I wonder this morning, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus' sacrifice Have you put your faith in something, yes, you can't see, you can't prove, but which God has revealed to you, that Jesus loved you, that he came to earth, that he died on the cross in your place so that you can have a relationship with God, that your sins can be removed? Have you taken that step? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? And if you have, are you demonstrating that faith? Because faith without actions, faith without works is no faith at all. It's dead. Are you demonstrating your faith By responding to what Jesus has done for you, by turning away on a daily basis from sin. Because one leads to the other. The third biblical doctrine of faith set out in chapter 11 is belief in our final salvation. In other words, the belief that finally one day we will go to be with God forever because of Jesus, if we've trusted in him. This is what the writer says. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life. So that he did not experience death he could not be found because god had taken him away for before he was taken he was commended as one who pleased god enoch's one of these strange examples in the bible of someone whose faith in god meant that he didn't physically die but god just took him at some point in his life physically straight to heaven and enoch being taken to heaven without physically dying it is a picture it was a real event in history but it's a picture of the final stage of salvation of those who've trusted in Jesus. When Jesus comes again, millions of Christian believers all over the world will, like Enoch, be removed to heaven without dying because they've put their faith in Jesus. If we die before he comes again, then we'll go to be with him through death and we'll be taken that way. But if the Lord Jesus was to return this morning, we are alive right now and like Enoch, we would be caught up and taken straight to heaven to be with God. Enoch's Example is a picture of what will happen to us all. But how does the author of Hebrews know that it was because of Enoch's faith that he didn't die and was taken to be with God instead of dying? Well, before Enoch was taken to heaven, it was said of him that he pleased God. It says in Genesis, he walked with God, and it means the same thing to to walk with God, to walk closely with God, to be pleasing to God. And, And since it's impossible to please God without faith, in fact, you can't truly come to God at all unless you believe He exists then Enoch must have been a true believer. And it was because he was a true believer that he was taken to heaven without dying. And the author's point is this. Jesus has promised to to come again for all those that have put their faith in him. And if we're still alive when he comes and we wish to be taken to heaven, then we too must be true believers. We We won't be taken to heaven unless we have genuinely put our faith and trust in Jesus. And our belief in Jesus' second coming and our going to be with him forever can't just be a nice theory about the future. can't just be something that we love studying and have our nice charts and have all our nice theories and all that kind of stuff. It, if, if it's real, then it has to impact how we live now. Enoch was an example of, of faith in action. His faith impacted how we lived. If we believe that Jesus is coming and that our final uh, situation, our, our, our kind of final Uh, resting place, if you like, is to be with Jesus forever, enjoying God. If we believe that, then it has to impact how we live right now, doesn't it? Walking with God to please him demonstrates that our faith is genuine as we wait for Jesus' return. It's really easy sometimes in, 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 you know, in, in church life and in Christian circles to get taken up with all the, the kind of stuff about Jesus' second coming and, and predicting this and having all these great theories and ideas about what will happen when and all the rest of it. and, and There's nothing wrong in that in some ways. We, we should study the Bible, but that should have a real living impact on our life. If we really believe Jesus is coming, if we really believe that he could come back today, that has to affect, if it's genuine belief... It has to affect how we live. If it's not genuine faith, then it won't affect how we live. I I, I had faith in in that bridge in Canada. The reality was I didn't have faith in in that bridge because I wouldn't walk on it. If we've got real genuine beliefs, then it will show in our behavior. Our behavior demonstrates what we really believe in. Our behavior proves what we really believe in. If we really believe in something then it will impact our behavior. Walking with God to please him day by day, living a life that's honoring of him, demonstrates that our faith is genuine, that we believe Jesus could return at any moment. And Enoch is our great example. He walked with God every day. He pleased God. And if we really believe that Jesus is coming to take us to heaven, then it has to transform how we live. We're not going to be perfect, absolutely, and God is a God of grace. But there has to be a complete difference between how we used to live before we met Jesus and afterwards. There has to be a difference if we really genuinely believe that Jesus is coming. Because genuine faith transforms our behavior. The Apostle John wrote these words When he appears, and he's talking about Jesus, when he appears, we shall be like him. Everyone who has this hope in him does what? Purifies himself. In other words, the belief that Jesus is coming should spur us to take should, should spur us on to take radical action to get rid of sinful actions and sinful behavior and and and, and attitudes in our lives, so that when Jesus comes, we're not ashamed to see him face to face. It isn't about not being saved, but we don't want to be when Jesus comes. We don't want to stand before Jesus ashamed at some of the things that we've been doing. Our salvation's not in doubt, but wouldn't it be tragic to be ashamed at his coming? Everyone who has this hope that he's coming purifies himself, takes action every day to turn away from sin and turn instead to follow Jesus. The fourth biblical doctrine of faith is belief in God's future wrath and that it will come on those who reject Jesus and refuse to put their faith in him. Verse 7 says this, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah's commended because when God warned him of the coming judgment, he believed it. He heard the message and he acted in response to it. His faith in what God had said caused him to act. Even though what God had said seemed, humanly speaking, incredibly unlikely, imagine in that time, that God said, I'm going to flood the whole world, I'm going to flood the whole earth, and you need to build this enormous, great big vessel that's never seen, the world's never seen anything like it before, about the size of an old-fashioned British aircraft carrier, immense, enormous construction. It was madness, it was insanity from a human point of view. Noah showed his faith by doing something about it. Genuine faith will cause us to act in accordance with what we say we believe. And so Noah built an ark to save his family. Crazy to do from a human point of view, but he believed God had spoken, so he acted. He had a family that needed to be saved. How could he really believe that a flood was coming without doing something about it, about the salvation of his family? And Jesus warned us that his second coming will be like Noah's flood. It will deluge this world with judgment on those that have rejected him. This is what Jesus said, and he's talking about his second coming. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Could we get the verse up, please, Phil? Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It's strange how some believers relegate the flood to the level of a fairy story or, or a parable when Jesus linked it so clearly with his second coming. Jesus believed in a literal worldwide flood with a literal ark that saved Noah and his family from the worldwide judgment of God upon this earth through the flood. And he equated it, he linked it with his own second coming, a real event, which was a picture of Jesus' second coming to bring God's wrath against those that have rejected him in this life. Jesus taught that the flood was a real event that demonstrated Noah's faith in response to what God had told him. And if like Noah we believe that Jesus is going to come again and not just take us to be with him, but then going to pour out his wrath upon those who've rejected him, then surely like Noah, our faith in what Jesus has said will lead us to do something about it. And we'll do what we can to help others escape the coming wrath and be saved. And how do we do that? We do that by sharing the good news that Jesus has died in their place on the cross so that they can have their sins forgiven and they can be made right with God and be saved from God's future wrath. If our faith in Jesus is genuine, if our faith in Jesus and what he said is genuine, then it has to lead to us doing something, doing something about what we can to do to tell others about him and his offer of rescue and salvation from God's wrath. So what does that look like? What does it look like to put our faith into action? If we say we believe Jesus is coming again and he's going to bring judgment on those that reject him, what does our faith look like in action then? Well, it means being public about our Christian beliefs. It means going public. It means saying, I'm a believer in Jesus, and I believe he's got some good news that you can be rescued from his coming wrath. It means telling people about Jesus. It means being very public and and open about it. It means praying for our non-Christian friends and family and work colleagues. It means taking opportunities to talk to them about Jesus. It means maybe giving them a Bible or some Christian literature. It means bringing them and, and inviting them to events at church. In February, we're starting a Christianity Explored course, which is a great way to tell others about Jesus. If, like me, you're not very good at doing that, Christianity Explored is a great way to allow someone else to do it, i.e. Rico Tice, who presents it on the video. All you've got to do is bring somebody and leave it to the DVD. And I want to challenge every single one of us this morning to, at the very least, ask one person for when this course starts in February. At the very least, pluck up the courage between now and February, start praying for that person and, and step out in faith and boldness and ask that person to come in February when we start Christianity Explored. Genuine faith in Jesus has to result in practical actions. That, that's the whole point of Hebrews 11. It's not just a nice kind of list of nice great people. Oh, I'm not, isn't he great? Isn't he great? That's not the point of it. What he's saying is, look, life is difficult, life is tough. We're in a race. It's a slog, it's a marathon, it's an endurance race. And those that have genuine faith will persist to the end. And this is what faith looks like. And if you've got real faith, it has to have actions, it has to have deeds, it has to have works. There has to be an outworking. Genuine faith in Jesus has to result in practical actions that demonstrate that our faith is real. And if we believe in God's wrath and His salvation from that wrath through Jesus, then we need to put that faith into practice and into action by getting busy telling people about Jesus telling them what he's done to to offer them forgiveness and eternal life. And Christianity Explored is is a great way to do that. It's not the only way, but it's a great way, and it's a a gift. It's here on our doorstep. It's it's happening in February. So the challenge today for us is this. What information has God revealed to you about himself, about life in general, about Jesus, about how he wants you to live and what he wants you to do? What does What information, what's the message from God that you've received perhaps from others or from reading the Bible yourself? And what are you going to do about that? Faith comes from hearing the message. So what is the message that God has given you? Faith comes from hearing the message. It, it, It might have come through a friend. It might have come through a sermon or directly reading the Bible. It might have come from God speaking to you directly. If you've heard or read something from God, what will you do about that? Will what you've heard from God lead you to put your faith in him perhaps for the very first time. And secondly, if you, if, if you profess to have faith in God and in what he said in the Bible, does your life demonstrate what you really say you believe? Because our actions will prove what we really believe. If you want to know what I believe, look at my actions. If I want to know what you believe, look at your actions. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Genuine faith will result in us taking concrete actions, actions that please God. Let's just take a few moments to pause and, and reflect on what we've looked at this morning. Well, what is God's message to you this morning? And, and what action are you going to take in response to that message? If, if you're comfortable, maybe you just want to bow your head and, and close your eyes. It helps us perhaps be less distracted. And just think about what the Holy Spirit is saying to each one of us this morning. It'll be different for all of us. What is God's message this morning? What does faith look like for us? Father, we thank You for this great chapter of, of, of heroes of faith who... Um, are, are such great examples of what it looks like to put faith into action. Some of them, Father, as, we, as we're going to see next week, are quite unlikely people, deeply flawed people, people just like us. And yet they took you at your word and they did astonishing things for you. Father, we pray that we would be people of faith, that our, firstly, that we would all have a faith in you, a saving faith in you, a faith that saves us and gives us eternal life where our reward is to be with you forever. But Lord, for perhaps many of us this morning who have that faith already, Lord, help us, I pray, help each one of us to put that faith into practice, to put it into action in the various different ways that we've thought about this morning. pray that we'll be people of faith, people who act out our faith, who live out our faith day by day. We Thank you. For this morning we thank you for this time together. Lord, as we sing now, as we worship you, as we commit ourselves once again to you, Lord, would you bless us, would you help us this week to be people of faith who live out our faith. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.